The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I'm joined by Dr. Dwayne Bratt, Professor of Political Science and Chair uh, of Department of Economics, Justice and Policy down at Mount Royal University. Hey, Dwayne, how you doing? I'm doing just great. As I always like to say off the top of any conversation with you, I feel in capable and comfortable hands when I have you on the show. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I may need you uh, for part of this conversation to walk me through something, but let's start with the uh, the easy stuff. We know that a by-election has to be called, or sorry, an election has to be called uh, between March 1st and May 31st, but there's some speculation now as to when between those two dates that, that might happen. Uh, the Premier announcing that the ledge will sit on March 18th. What is that? First of all, let me let me ask, what are the possibilities? Okay, well, first of all, we still don't know the exact date of the election, but the calling of the legislature back on March 18th gives us an awful lot of clues. Clue number one, we know the election will not be in March. True. Okay? Yep. And that's because why we call the legislature um, uh, if you're dropping the writ prior to that. And so we have a 28-day campaign. She would have to call a March election in February, and then that would rule out. You can't recall the legislature for a legislature that doesn't exist. So we know it won't be in March. Um, so that leaves April or May. And now we start to get into speculation zone. So my theory is they're going to recall the ledge, There'll be a speech from the throne on March 18th. That will be sort of an election manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, then she'll go to the lieutenant governor the next day. Some believe possibly that evening, call an election um, right after that. So we would be looking at April 15th or 16th. So that would assume that she's not uh, presenting a budget either. Right. That's. I'm assuming that they're not preparing a budget. Well, sorry, they're not presenting a budget. They are preparing a budget. It would be irresponsible of the Department of Finance, the, the bureaucrats, not to be preparing a budget. The reason I say that is the end of the fiscal year is the end of March. So they would have to get that done beforehand. Given the experience of Jim Prentice in 2015, where he tabled a budget, didn't pass it, but ran on it, that created an opportunity for everybody to attack the budget for various reasons. And I don't think the Notley government wants to do that, particularly because I think it's going to be a bad budget, given the uh, continued economic downturn uh, that we've seen in the uh, in the province. So if I was the Notley government, I wouldn't want to present a budget that had an 8 to $10 billion deficit and decide, hey, I'm going to campaign on this. So It'd let, be let's... better just to give a throne speech, which lists out a whole set of promises, hmm. and then go to the people. So let's talk about that budget for a second, because, uh, you know, I'm curious about this aspect of... And it would appear as though they're, you know, she's not going to present the budget. But if she were, the downside is what you just described, that now there's this piece of, you know, there's this document for everybody to pick apart. But doesn't that also then cause the uh, UCP and uh, the Alberta Party to present their own budget, though? 
we'll have to see. Uh, I doubt that you're going to see any alternative budgets uh, being presented during the the election campaign. Um, It's always tough for opposition parties to do that because they don't have the data and the details and the staff that that the government does. I've also heard, well, why don't they just, you know, present the budget pass it because they have a majority government and then go to the polls that i think is unfair to the electorate as well because the budget is for the following year and so do you want one government to be tying the hands of a of a future government interesting you know i asked the premier this myself but i want to ask you as well given the history of politics in alberta and the 43 years of conservative government um the ndp all the NDP had to do, there's so much I want to ask you, Dwayne, all the, the NDP was not defending their record. They were attacking the record of the previous government and governments. Right. But this time around, it's different. And for the first time in many people's lives, it's different. We're going to watch an NDP government defend their record over the past yep. four years. So how much differently does the NDP have to enter into this election, or, or how do they handle it differently when you're actually defending your own record? Well, I think that's very important. People um, don't elect governments. They, they tend to throw them out. Um, and, and that's because the electorate makes two choices. Choice, or they, there's two questions. Question one is, should the government be reelected? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then you don't move on to the second question. But if you say no, then you do move on to the second question. It goes, okay, if they should be defeated, who should replace them? And in 2015, it was not necessarily apparent that that would be the NDP. I mean, the NDP was the uh, fourth party. It only had four seats. It had never formed government. The Wild Rose was the official opposition. Why not the Wild Rose? And there was a variety of reasons why they chose the NDP over, over Wild Rose. In 2012, I think the uh, people in Alberta wanted to throw out the PCs. Then they looked at the only real alternative at that time, which was Wild Rose, and then they got cold feet and went back to the, back to the Tories. In the situation we're at now, It'll either be, you know, the NDP or, or the UCP. It's not going to be, even though it's a multi-party system, and I know Stephen Mendel's going to get mad at me again, but uh, <laughs> he's not about to become premier of this province. Huh. You know, it, it's, it's really a choice between the NDP and the UCP. And what is interesting is the NDP is the government, Right. But it appears that they're running almost as an opposition party, talking about what would happen if the if Jason Kenney and the UCP got elected. That is exactly why I asked you that question, Dwayne. That is exactly why, because we had the opportunity to interview the premier just days ago. And of course, we keep on top of these things anyways. But that's to me that it feels like still attacking a previous yeah. Um, government, as opposed to defending your last four years. But it's not just the NDP. I would also argue the UCP is acting as if they are the government. Huh. <laughs> and and I'll give you an, exp- uh, an example. The, the new ads that they put out on Monday, their new campaign ads, if you look at them, there was very little in the sense of content. There was no, if you elect us, we will do A, B, or C. 
Likewise, it wasn't a negative ad. It wasn't, let's just rip down the NDP on A, B, or C. Instead, it was a couple of slogans, you know, Alberta, bring back the Alberta advantage and, you know, um, uh, strong and free. Um, and But it really highlighted, you know, the diversity of, of candidates and, and things like that and emphasized Jason Kenney. Those are ads that a, a typically a government would put out, not an opposition party. And, and, and what's your take on why that is? I think Kenny, even though he'll say about, you know, be humble and let's, you know, not get ahead of ourselves here, is has been acting quite a while as if it's just a matter of time before the election gets called and he becomes premier of this province. Um, and you get a sense of that in the media as well you get a sense of that even amongst the NDP it's it's in that sense it's it's a bit of a role reversal here um and so that's uh it's a different dimension that we're looking at in in election campaign well you know it's a great province to study politics in because man at least over the last 5 years it's been a great province to yes <laughs> to study uh let me ask you this in speaking with the premier and I don't want to run out of time before we get to this and I feel I'm just going to tell you right now Dwayne I feel like an idiot on this right now so we had the premier in uh Jay and I and I asked her the question. I want to almost give it to you word for word if I can from memory. I asked her if the prime minister of the country threw her under the bus to some extent um, in what was, I thought, an understood agreement that uh, carbon tax equals pipeline. Right. And she replied, uh, her first one, I said, in, in your negotiations. And then she said, in what negotiations? And I said, okay, perhaps negotiations is the wrong word, but did we not have an understanding that we agree to the carbon tax and we get a pipeline? And she said words to the effect that, no, the carbon tax uh, was something that was in the works, being discussed and part of an environmental assessment uh, period, and that it was coming anyway. The two are not tied together. And I felt, honestly, Dwayne, like a complete idiot because I thought, did I misread that or make that up? But I thought they campaigned <laughs> tying those two together. Uh, well, they didn't campaign. Uh, okay, uh, I think the question was right, and I don't think she answered it correctly. But let's walk through the time frame. So, when the NDP campaigned, they talked about climate change and coming up with a climate change strategy, but they did not run on a carbon tax. They created a panel, they, they, uh, an expert panel, to investigate how to address climate. Um, Andrew Leach, the, prof the economics professor at the University of Alberta, chaired that panel. They spent the, the spring and summer uh, of 2015 uh, investigating this. Then they came up with this idea of a carbon tax. And that is what the government implemented. Um, when they implemented it, there's lots of things that you could have said about it. Um, but they really emphasized that it was des designed for social license around pipelines. When Trudeau brings in his carbon tax after he's elected in the fall of 2015, he brings it in. Um, I doubt that he would have brought it in if there wasn't already a program in Quebec, Ontario, B.C., and Alberta, the four biggest provinces, particularly Alberta. The federal program follows the Alberta program. Then when he makes the approval, the initial approval about Trans Mountain, he explicitly links it to Alberta's carbon tax. Hmm. 
And so um, I think you're dead on on the on the question. And she dodged. And why would she dodge, though? And, you know, I said this the next day, uh, or I shouldn't say the next day. I said it after we she was gone, just sort of out to our listeners. I don't understand in a period just prior to an election, which is going to be a hard-fought one for both sides, I think, why wouldn't she take the opportunity to blame the prime minister on that? Uh, because the relationship is quite complicated between the two. Um, she, ever since the Federal Court of Appeal decision on Trans Mountain in, in August, um, she has been going after the federal government. Um, you know, around Bill C-69, why don't you help us with rail cars? You know, where's some assistance for us? But prior to that moment, there was a very close alliance between Notley and Trudeau. Um, for example, when Kinder Morgan got cold feet about the project and was bailing, she convinced Trudeau to buy the pipeline uh, for $4 billion. And when it eventually does get built, that could be an extra $8 billion to construct. So, you know, $12 billion is nothing to, to sniff at. Um, so she, she has a very awkward relationship with Trudeau. And then you also have Jason Kenney, where there is no awkwardness. It is clear attack. Um, he, is a, he has been campaigning against Trudeau, and he is promising confrontation with Trudeau on a whole host of files if he is elected. And that's why Notley has to be much more delicate around the Trudeau question because Trudeau is not very popular in Alberta right now, whereas Kenny can just be unrestrained. Hmm. So let me ask you this question, and I've already kept you past the time I said I would, but I'm really honestly trying to understand this. And if I am, I'm, I'm guessing our, some of our listeners are too. My question to you then is, if there was no carbon tax, we still wouldn't have a pipeline. Right. So, right. And, and that, I think, is something that we need to talk about during the debate. Right. Or sorry, during the election campaign, is Rachel Notley's strategy better to get this constructed of working with the federal government, of bringing in uh, carbon legislation and dealing with emissions? Is that more likely to get it done? Or would the strategy of, of Jason Kenney of confrontation, uh, of suing environmental groups, of threatening to shut off the flow of oil to B.C., of suing the federal government, uh, of scrapping the carbon tax, is that more likely to get a pipeline built? So if the issue is about pipelines, which strategy is better? Which is really interesting, Dwayne, because... I had, in a follow-up question, still on the topic of pipelines with the Premier, and we were, you know, I was pressing her a little bit, and she made mention of the fact that uh, a great percentage of Canadians now feel as though there should be a pipeline, or they feel that uh, the lack of uh, expansion is a crisis, or, and I, I don't know... And she, that's absolutely true, yeah. Right, and I said to her, but isn't that a moral victory as opposed to a concrete victory? But now, in hindsight... Um, because I didn't know what her answer was going to be, and I've had time to think about her answer now. Uh -huh. And I thought, yeah, but if you can get the will of the country to believe that it's a crisis, that is possibly a good strategy to getting this done. If if it means with another election, you know, on the tail of this one, federally this time, maybe it is a good idea to get the will of the people to say across the country, yeah, give Alberta the pipeline. Yeah. 
And, and, well, because it benefits more than Alberta. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why I believe, uh, and especially the, what the federal government has done in, in addressing the deficiencies that the federal court of appeal did. They redid the consultation. They redrafted up uh, the evidence around spill mitigation off the coast of B.C. It, it's for these reasons and the purchase of the pipeline by the federal government to begin with that I believe the pipeline will be built. Unfortunately for Rachel Notley, it won't happen before the election. And so you could very well have a situation where the pipeline is built under a Jason Kenney government, but the groundwork that was done was done by Rachel Notley. And conservatives will say, see, it took a Kenny government to get it done. <laughs> yeah, it took two months, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because, of course, there was 43 years of conservative rule uh, Prior to that. Yeah, prior to that. Uh, Dwayne, I'm out of time, uh, but I really appreciate it. I know we got hold of you at the last minute, and uh, yep. but I always appreciate your time, and uh, especially on stuff like this. You help sort things out for us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, take care. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.